They all told me to get a college football podcast, so I did. I'm John Harris, Football Takeover. It's time for Football with Friends. Hey, hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome into episode seven of Football with Friends podcast in partnership with the Texas Bowl. I am John Harris, owner-proprietor of footballtakeover.com. So glad that you are with me. Had a bye week last week, so I stepped away from the pod just to kind of get rejuvenated to get ready for this week, which is going to be a fantastic week. There's no doubt. Huge, huge week this week. In particular, a game in South Bend. Oh yeah, November football with a top five ranked team in South Bend is football history. It really is. I love seeing Notre Dame play in big games. Some people hate Notre Dame, but I love Notre Dame being in those games. It just has a bigger feel to it, uh, I would suppose. So that you're going to have. You've also got a pretty interesting one down in Jacksonville, where I'll be going this weekend, which is my former home. And we used to live across the, the river from, at the time, it was, man, I don't remember what it was called. It was the Gator Bowl. Then it turned, I can't remember what it turned into, and it's gone through different iterations. Right now, it's TIA Bank Stadium, the bank, as they say. Florida, Georgia, unbelievable game to watch. And I've seen a few rivalry games. I've seen Florida, Florida State. Um, I have seen Georgia, Florida. And I don't know. I've seen Tennessee, Florida. I don't know that any game that I've seen, yeah, I mean, it pales in comparison to Florida, Georgia. I've never seen Texas OU, OU, Texas. I wish I would have, but Florida, Georgia's an incredible, first of all, world's largest cocktail party, and I don't drink, and I love every minute of that thing. I went, I actually went in 95 when the games were on campus as they were renovating the Gator Bowl. So they sent two years, once to Florida in 94, and then in 95, they went to Athens. So my wife and I went with two buddies of ours, uh, family friends of ours, went, the guys went to the football game, and my wife and her friend went uh, shopping in Buckhead, and we had a blast. And Florida just trounced Georgia that night. It was also game one of the World Series the Braves were in. So by middle of the second quarter, there were a lot of Georgia fans out of that building. But then I went in 96 and 97, and those games were unbelievable. I think I went 98 and 2000 as well. And then it was 2001 when we moved out of Jacksonville. So I think I saw four or five. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit later on about one that I saw in particular. The 97 game was incredible. Absolutely unbelievable. We'll talk about that a little bit later because of a question that I asked our guest. And our guest on the podcast this week, look, it's football with friends. And this guy has become a friend from afar. He lives in Mississippi. He's a sideline reporter for Ole Miss football. I go on his radio show probably once every two weeks, I would imagine. And he does a whale of a job. Last year, as... Uh, I was going to the Senior Bowl. I had our videographer with me, um, Joe Palace, now with the Washington football team. He did a great job as an intern with us. We flew to New Orleans, and then from New Orleans, we drove to Mobile. So we're about 30 minutes into the drive, getting out of New Orleans. We're now into Mississippi. And as I'm driving, I'm just cooking the stations. I hear a voice that's familiar. I'm like, oh, that's my dude right there. That's Richard. And that's who we've got on the show tonight, Richard Cross. Does a great job doing radio in the state of Mississippi and does an excellent job on the sidelines for Ole Miss. We talked about a number of different things, um, and, and you name it, 
we talked about it. We talked about some of the great games we've seen. We shared some of our moments on the sideline, which are pretty funny. One, unfortunately, for Richard went viral, and I hate that for him. Uh, because you get a video that goes viral, nobody lets you forget it. And he does such a great job that I, I forget it because I've known him for a while now. And I don't, know, I don't like to bring that up because I know what it's like to have um, to be pictured on a sideline, to have something go wrong on the sideline, and then there you are, just naked as a jailbird, proverbially speaking. So I had a great time talking to my good friend, Richard Cross. All right, Richard, I got to know, because the NFL has forced me to go up into the, the stands, so I'm no longer sideline reporter, I'm moat reporter. How has it been for you broadcasting games down on the sidelines for Ole Miss? You know, so far this year, we really haven't had any issues. Ole Miss was uh, at Vanderbilt last weekend. And, you know, Vanderbilt's the only school in the SEC that is not allowing fans, period. They made, right. I think, 2,000 stu student tickets available even though they're not actually in school right now. Uh, I think they had 500 of those that were, uh, were, were taken by students. And I made a comment early on in the broadcast that at kickoff, about 56 of them had actually showed up. Somebody corrected me and said, no, I actually counted. There were 58 students in the stands. So <laughs> I, I say all that to say there's nobody. And yet the security guards in Nashville – apparently were off-duty Secret Service agents. And they were like, I mean, if you stepped over a dotted line, it was, you need to get back in the box. You need to get back in the box. That's wow. the only area we've had any issue. It, it's been really cool. That's actually uh, – I give the Southeastern Conference a lot of credit. They decided early on that for both television and radio, sideline was considered essential personnel. Yep. We don't go through the same uh, level of testing that the, the teams do, but there's you know some screening on game day to make sure, sure. that you don't have any symptoms. You got to keep your mask on everywhere you go, but uh, it's been really cool. I mean, obviously the stadiums uh, being at max 25% capacity has been an altogether different deal. The biggest bummer for me, and I know, John, you guys don't do this in the NFL, um, but until this year, I've always gone out to midfield for the coin toss. Mm, yeah, and yeah. that is one of the coolest moments, whether it's in Oxford for an Ole Miss game or you're in Tuscaloosa, or you're in Baton Rouge, or you're in Gainesville, and you look around and you see that packed house and you just feel the electricity. Yeah, It's it's this spot that nobody gets to go to other than the referee and the umpire yeah. and the team captains. And I look around and I, I'm doing that. And that's the thing that I've missed more than anything this year. It's so funny you say that because I, I find myself right before kickoff, I say in a normal situation where I just look around. And I'll never forget, we went to Philadelphia. Uh, 2018, a couple of years ago. And we go, we go there every eight years. And so I just looked around and it was, it was a one o'clock kickoff and there was, there was a butt in every seat. And it was amazing because all the stadiums I've been to, it's never been like that. And I just looked around, I kind of did the same thing. And now you look around these stadiums, you know, we were in Pittsburgh in week three and you just look around, you saw yellow seats and there was nobody in them. Yeah. And, you know, here this really good NFL game was taking place. And it was like, it was bizarre. It, it really was. But, you know, things are so different for us with just everyday testing and things like that. But at least you're able to be down. And, and people ask me, like, is there much difference of being in the stands versus being down on the field? And I was like, yeah, there's, there's, a, pretty, there's a pretty big difference. I mean, obviously distance-wise, but just sure. the feel of the game and all that kind of stuff. And so I'm so glad that you get to be down there for that because that's, uh, I think, such a, a huge part of what we get an opportunity to do and we're so lucky to do. 
and, as and far as you know, one thing, John, if if you think about it, people that have always sat in the stands for games, if yeah. you told them or or you gave them the opportunity, they might be like, "Oh, that's cool. I would love to. Uh, I'd love to be on the sideline." But then yeah. they would realize, I, I, "I can't watch the game from here because it's right. such a different perspective." But once you've done that, yep, especially exactly. for an extended period of time. You don't want to be in the stands, nope. whether it's an end zone view or a 50-yard line view, 30 rows up or anywhere in between. You want to be on the field. And, you know, it's obviously not the yep. NFL, but the Southeastern Conference, I would argue, is probably the next closest thing in terms of the speed of the game. There's no way to understand how fast and how physical the game is yep. when you're sitting in the stands in comparison to being on the sidelines. Uh, it's incredible. I mean, the people that watch the games on TV, and I tell them all the time, look, when you're down on that field and you see it live, it is unbelievable. It's unbelievably fast. You don't even yeah. realize, you know, because you obviously have, uh, you know, armchair quarterbacks that see something and they're like, well, look, he just throw it right there. He's wide open. And like, man, you realize how fast that's happening in our leagues. It's unbelievable. Richard, you, have have you ever gotten knocked down on the sideline? Um, no, not yet. Um, <laughs> oh, oh yes, I did. I did. Obviously. I mean, I know you had you had an instance. Was that at Florida where that happened? Yeah, it was, it was in Florida. Jordan Wilkins was the running back for Ole Miss, and I saw the play coming to me. And yeah. I, I mean, I'm I'm paying attention, and I usually start to kind of ease back. Yeah. But yeah. in talking about speed of the game, it got on me so fast, and the sidelines in Gainesville are so incredibly I, narrow. Yes. And I mean, you know, games on TV, you can go back and find the clip on the internet if you really want to. I mean, yeah. I go down. I got these red shoes on, and they're up in you know <laughs> straight up in the air and rolled back and. Going back and watching it, there was a uh, like one of these video boards that was attached to the concrete wall, and my yeah. the back of my head missed the corner of that thing by Ooh. I don't know like six inches. It could have been ugly. Yeah. Uh, instead, it was just people making fun of me. When I we this was two years ago, we had a, a defensive back by name of Johnson Batamosi, and we picked off a pass, and so it was kind of down the way from where I was. This is about the thirty yard line. And so as we picked it off, I was kind of, you know, kind of going down that direction. Yeah. But I turned back to see if there were any flags and Batamosi doesn't see me. And I try to duck out of the way, you know, matrix style and his shoulder <laughs> pad catches me like right on the cheek Ooh. and just literally spins me around. And I saw him after the game and I was like, JB, you realize you almost knocked me out. He goes, what do you mean? I was like, you didn't realize you hit me? He goes, no. I goes, I didn't feel it. I'm like, oh, my God. I was like, you knocked me. I did. Full and complete <laughs> circle. But I think the best one was Richard. Uh, we have a long snapper by the name of John Weeks. John has been with the team forever. He's one of the best long snappers in the league. And I've got to know Weeksy for a while. But the very first game I was down on the sideline, he always does his practice snaps. And – I, that first game, for some reason, was just so involved in the game. I wasn't kind of paying attention to where I was. And I guess he thought I knew he was there. <laughs> and he buzzed the tower like Maverick. And, I mean, Richard, he missed my nose by about an inch. I Ooh. felt it go by, and I just went, oh, my God. Because if he hits me with that thing, it'll, it'll knock me cold. And, I mean, it missed me by about an inch. I looked down. I was like, oh. And so every time – I'm on the sideline. He makes sure to look for me, and I look for him. And I'm like, you good? Yeah, I'm good. Okay. And so we kind of work it out <laughs> with, the, the, with him and the kickers and the punters. It's always kind of interesting. Um, I've only had one of those. Last year, Ole Miss was playing Cal, and Chase Garbers was the quarterback. Yeah. It was an 11 a.m. kickoff, and he's just throwing a ball away. Like, it played. There's nothing there. He throws it away. I'm standing on the sidelines, and instinctively, got a microphone in my left hand. 
and I just fire my right hand up in the air and I'm like gonna like I'm gonna just snare this one-handed and you <laughs> yeah. know I'm yeah. gonna be cool about it just flip the ball to a ball boy or the official it nicks off my middle finger oh no and I had no idea how much velocity was on that and I bumped into something about five minutes later and my finger just popped 45 degrees the other way and I was like ah oh so I dislocated man. a finger and then popped it back into place so well anyway my favorite, my favorite one, yeah. I'll tell you this one, and we'll, we'll move on. We're playing the Colts in 2015 up in Indianapolis, and we've never beaten the Colts in Indy. And so we have already lost our quarterback. We're on, like, our fourth quarterback. We're on Brandon Whedon. And Whedon <laughs> leads us on a 90-yard drive, and we run a play in which Whedon kind of little mini boot throws it to Jalen Strong. And so the play is coming right at me like I'm standing probably about the two or three yard line and trying to stay out of the way and I'm definitely behind the line and so Jalen catches the ball and now there's two linebackers coming a safety coming and Jalen they're all coming right at the pylon and so as it's all kind of converging like right in front of me Jalen scores so I jump up in the air with all my two inch vertical well that whole mosh pit of people move the side judge back off the field so as i'm in the air the the side judge is literally backing into <laughs> me as i'm in the air and so as i'm coming down he's like literally in my lap and i came down such that i was almost giving him a big bear hug so i had to like land bring my arms out so i didn't land on him and i landed literally like three inches from him and <laughs> And then I just peeled off real fast, so I hope he didn't see me and was celebrating. He came over to me after the touchdown. He kind of looked at me, and he goes, you know, I felt you. And I was like, I know. I know I was really, really close. So I said, but I was behind the yellow line. He goes, oh, no, I know. But, man, our, our video crew, because the play was going that direction, and I was right in line with it. They had a video yeah. of that, of me jumping up, and then all of a sudden that ref was like <laughs> right in my lap. I mean – there, it's it's amazing to think about the different things that happen down on the field. Um, there's no question. Now, I've had the opportunity of dealing with Bill O'Brien on the sidelines many times, Richard. You now have the opportunity of dealing with Lane Kiffin. How's that gone through half a season? Um, it, it's been good. The, uh, the the first game – so, you got to realize what Lane's personality is. So – you know, the, the Twitter personality and the guy that he is with the national media. If he's on the radio with Colin Cowherd or Dan Patrick or, yeah. you know, he's doing a, a podcast with the guys at Barstool, he's a different guy yeah. than he is with the local media. And because of this strange year, there was basically no interaction between any media, even in-house and Lane or really the rest of the staff leading up to the start of the season. So Ole Miss opens the year and they host Florida. And, you know, we've got a pregame interview scheduled with him. And he's supposed to come out to where we are. We're in the stadium this year as opposed to being over in the Grove. And yeah, he, um, he's about 45 minutes late. So, you know, you're, you're on a pretty tight schedule and you're trying to work yeah. 12, two and a half minute commercial breaks into an hour and a half. And so you kind of try to stay on schedule with everything. So we're moving stuff around. And then he hangs out with Marty Smith after he does a little hit for ESPN for like another five minutes. I'm like, come on, man, just come talk to us. And then he gets over there and, you know, about two questions in, I can tell he's done. Yeah. He, he's, you know, not interested. And the post game was kind of, yeah. Yeah. But after that, it was like, okay, this is one of our guys. This is not somebody that's going to kill me. 
Yeah. We're all on the same team here. And he's been great. He, he's opened up. He's got a cool personality. You know, the, the most fascinating thing to me, and, and this kind of goes away. So I was waiting for him coming off the field at halftime this past week against Vanderbilt. And his sideline demeanor is pretty low key. He doesn't yeah, get super fired up, yeah. worked up, but he was hot. Ole Miss had uh, gotten the ball back with, oh, I don't know, 45 seconds or so in the half. They hit a running play, hit a couple of quick pass plays, and now they're at the, you know, 40-yard line or so, the plus 40, and they've got a shot, and they take a shot, and it was there. And they missed it. The throw was complete, and he is – he throws a TV first, and I'm just watching it, and he's yeah. boiling. And I, I get to him and, you know, ask him – question about general the first half I said you were really hot on that last play what happened he said we had everything we wanted they were in quarters coverage we yeah. got the route you yeah. got to make that throw and and that to me was a little bit of a peek into the offensive tactician that he is yeah because you've been around coaches before when you get a certain look and you've got a certain play dialed up at the snap of the ball you know you've got six and then when you miss on that, it's one of the most frustrating things you'll see. A fan just goes, well, they missed on a deep ball, last right. play of the half. It was kind of Hail Mary-esque. That's not what he saw at all. He yep. saw a missed opportunity to get Ole Miss to 40, going into the locker room for uh, uh, Matt Corral to have his fifth touchdown pass of the half to throw for over 400 yards in the half. Whoa. And they missed on that, and it was yeah. a really big deal. That, I thought that was kind of an interesting peek into his personality as a play caller and, and kind of as an offensive mind. Richard, what's the feel around – Oxford around the campus around the program with Lane and what he's doing especially offensively I mean Hugh had such a good run there with the high level recruits and you know doing that kind of thing but Lane's come in and offensively it's gone to a whole different level with you guys but what's the feel and what's the excitement level of, around having Lane there and what what Ole Miss is doing considering that the record is two and four and was one and four before the game against Vanderbilt last week yeah. um, it's pretty high. And I think it's high because offensively, look, Ole Miss is good offensively. And yeah, they've got very. pieces. They've got Elijah Moore, who's not a big guy, but is a game changer. I think there's a legit argument to be made that he made that he's one of the three or four best receivers in the uh, in the SEC. Kenny Yaboa, the transfer from, uh, from Temple, has been a difference maker. They've got two running backs that are sophomores now, uh, especially in uh, Jerrion Ely that's a game changer. They got a couple of pros on the offensive line, and Matt Corral's playing at a really high level offensively. I say all that to say they're good offensively. But as good as they are offensively, they've been that bad defensively. And so I think people are a little measured. They're excited about the offense. If you need to sell tickets, you need to go score points. Sure. Not that selling tickets is really a thing this year, but, but going forward, certainly we hope it is. But if you're going to win games, and I'm not going to defense wins championships, that's, that's not what I'm saying because I, I think right. that era is gone. But you got to be functional defensively. you got to be able to occasionally get to the quarterback. you got to force some turnovers. And from a, a personnel standpoint, they're just not there. But I think people are patient because they knew that going in because this defense, really going back to when they led the SEC and maybe the country in scoring defense, they haven't been very good. And going back to when Hugh Freeze was there, they kind of dropped the ball in terms of defensive recruiting. Um, you know, you, you have to be reminded that when the NCAA punishes you, there's a, a reason for that. They are trying to knock the program back. 
um, you know, whether they admit that or not, but, but when you deal with sanctions and scholarship reductions, th- those take place somewhere. It hasn't really hurt Ole Miss on the offensive side, but it has on the defensive side. It's a long way of saying people are excited about it. And, you know, we're excited. There was a lot of buy-in from the day that he was hired. Some of that enthusiasm went away because the world changed this year. Yeah. Um, but with what they've seen, I think fans have seen on the field, there's a lot of reason for optimism. With Lane taking over at Ole Miss, Mike Leach at Mississippi State. Now I know some of the bloom is off the Leach Rose after what's happened the last <laughs> three or four weeks. Richard, what kind of egg bowl do you anticipate happening sometime soon? I keep thinking at some point Mississippi State's going to score some points. Yeah. It's just, you know, after scoring, what, 44 in the opener, they've scored 30 cents, and nine of those have been by their defense. <laughs> they, had, yeah. they had a pick six, an extra point, and a safety yeah. mixed into that. So they, they've scored 23 offensive points uh, in their last four games. Uh, Mike Leach had, you know, prior to only having the safety against Kentucky, it was the first time that he had ever had an offense go scoreless in a game. And then he follows that up last week at Alabama where, um, they get completely shut out. Yeah. And Alabama's defense is good, but that's yeah. the same defense that Ole Miss rolled 48 up on. Yeah. Uh, my, my thought, because of what Ole Miss is defensively, is that it'll be a high-scoring game. Um, you know, it's fascinating. The relationship between Leach and, uh, and Kiffin is – it goes back a long way from their time in the Pac-12. I think yeah. they, at least publicly, have said that they like each other. I think privately yeah. they like each other which doesn't always sit well with fan bases. Um, but, you know, they're, they're supposed to hate each other and, you know, just want to spit on each other when they see them. And that's not really uh, how those two guys approach it. Um, so, yeah, I think it'll be fascinating. You, you know, John, what was interesting to me, so many people said, okay, who's going to be better in year one? I said, well, I don't know the answer to that. Yeah. But here, here's what I know. If you look at Lane Kiffin's background, he takes what he's got offensively and figures out a way to make it work. Right. And, you know, you go back to Blake Sims playing quarterback after being a running back at Alabama and then, yeah. you know, setting passing records. And, yeah. you know, what he did with guys at Southern Cal and what he did at FAU, that's not the way Mike Leach approaches it. It's a completely different approach and mindset. And his approach is, this is my offense. This is what we're going to run. We may take some lumps in year one or year two, but it's proven to work, and I'm not going to deviate from it. Yeah. So it's two very different philosophies between the two coaches. You know, the early results have – you know, been more in favor of what Lane Kiffin has done, the way he's approached it, and the way he's used his offensive weapons. Right. And uh, we'll, we'll see what happens with Leach long-term. When uh, – this question comes up invariably late November when there are a lot of rivalries going on, and everybody likes to point to, you know, Alabama-Auburn, Michigan-Ohio State. And I think being around the SEC when I was living in Jacksonville, still around it here now with A&M here, and I've followed it for a long time, it feels like there's as much vitriol between Ole Miss and Miss State fans and the schools than there is any rivalry in the country. Look, Alabama and Auburn, they don't like each other. Like, I get it. How do you look at it? You're right in the midst of it, Richard. How do you perceive the Ole Miss-Mississippi State rivalry in comparison to some of the other ones that people maybe put out there as being great rivalries? What makes that Ole Miss – Mississippi State game so special for the Egg Bowl. Look, I'm, I'm not going to try and convince you that Ole Miss-Mississippi State, Mississippi State-Ole Miss, if you prefer, is a bigger rivalry game than Alabama-Auburn, that it's bigger than Ohio State-Michigan, than it's bigger than Yankees-Red Sox or Army-Navy or whatever. But it is every bit, if not more so, ugly, at least in recent years, than those. Yeah. 
you know, I look at Alabama-Auburn every year. Okay, great game. But I feel like there's – even though there's a, a strong dislike bordering on hatred between those two fan bases and programs, there's some mutual respect there because yeah. of what they've accomplished. Uh, it, it pains me to say this, but traditionally Ole Miss and Mississippi State have been, you know, bottom to bottom half of the SEC. They both had moments, but they've never, outside of 2014, yeah. had that kind of dual ascendancy where, where they're both, you know, nationally relevant at the exact same time. And I think that's part of it. And then the other part of it, you know, everybody wants to point to Dan Mullen, but you really got to rewind farther in the series and go back to when Billy Brewer and Jackie Sherrill were the coaches. <laughs> they didn't like each other. Yeah. But when Dan Mullen came to Mississippi State from his opening press conference, he started taking shots at Ole Miss, and he didn't quit un- until he left. Yeah. And that fueled the rivalry. The relatively recent NCAA investigation that Mississippi State was so heavily involved in yeah. uh, that included the NCAA giving immunity to, uh, to some Mississippi State players to testify against Ole Miss, uh, all of those things fueled it. And it's gotten to – I don't know if it's unhealthy. There are people that if you say it's unhealthy or if it's ugly or if it's vitriolic or it's toxic, they roll your eyes, their eyes and, and tell you, you're ridiculous. <laughs> I just got to tell you, I have grown weary of watching Ole Miss and Mississippi State where every single play is chippy. Everybody wants to talk after a tackle on a, you know, a two-yard run. Or yeah, yeah. you stop a guy for a, a loss of a yard and you, know, you need to, to be Superman or, or, or whatever it is. These programs are good enough that they ought to be able to just stand on their own. Yeah. And I would love it if we could get back to where football was the main thing. Uh, my hope is that, you know, with these two coaches, with, with Lane Kiffin and Mike Leach, that, that some of that edge will come off of it and it'll be about football and it'll be less about the other stuff. And, and look, I mean, I, I've talked some about Mississippi State and their coaches, but, I mean, all this plays into that as well. I mean, the deal with Elijah Moore last year, the deal, yeah. with, deal with DK Metcalf a couple of years back where they – you know, kind of hike their leg in the end zone. Yeah. There's no place for that, man. Just play ball. And and yeah. if that makes me sound old and stodgy and like I'm yelling at the clouds, I'll wear that. So be it. I, I just like football. Yeah, I'm with you. All right. I found this in my – I found this in my notes, and I figured you'd be as good as anybody. I call it the best draft. Uh-huh. And basically it is – I'm going to give you a topic. You tell me the best part of that. So if I said um, best hamburger – you tell me the best hamburger place you've ever been to. All right. Okay. Kind of runs the gamut. Just tell us a little bit about you. All right. What's the best college game you ever saw live? Alabama, Georgia SEC championship game. 2012? Uh, 2012. Aaron Murray is quarterback. They're driving down at the end. Georgia feels like they got a chance. It's probably the best one that I've seen in person. Yeah. Not involving, uh, not involving Ole Miss. The, the Ole Miss-Alabama game in Oxford in 2014, and, yeah. and, and that's – you know, some of that is because this is where I went to school. Oxford's where I grew up. I'd yeah. never seen anything quite like that. It was college game day in Katy Perry and a yeah. packed house and perfect weather and an unbelievable ending. And, you know, probably in terms of Ole Miss, that would be number one in, in terms of what Ole Miss did. In terms of just a memory – and I know I'm only supposed to give you one answer. That's right. Um, uh, Ole Miss getting to the Sugar Bowl, playing there January 1, 2016. Oh, yeah. yeah. Kind of roll in Oklahoma State that day. Uh, it had been 40 years since Ole Miss had played in the, the Sugar Bowl. So that's three yeah. uh, kind of from, from different angles. It's funny you say that about the about the 2012 SEC Championship game because I answered them as well. That's the one I have too. I did a show. Really? I did a show in Atlanta for Yahoo Sports Radio 
They had a chance to go to the game. And I remember one of the, one of the most amazing things about that game was got on Marta and people were so exhausted. I mean, there were fans of both teams. I mean, I could tell yeah. they looked around. I was wearing a green sweater to make sure I didn't get lumped into either group. But I could <laughs> see Georgia fans and Alabama fans, and I, I could just – they were exhausted. They were just exhausted. I was like, that's – there's got to be something. There's got to be something about that game. And I just went back and watched it on TV. When Later, I was like, holy cow, this is incredible. Um, it was special. I wanted – A.J. McCarron's in our building. I want to I interview him and talk to him about that. College game, you wish you would have seen live. You know, Tiger Stadium in Baton Rouge is my favorite place to yeah. uh, to watch a football game. Yeah. So I might even actually go back a ways and go LSU Auburn earthquake game. Oh, that's in, a great uh, in one. Baton Rouge. That's a great one. All right, best dramatic TV series. I, I'm just thinking about the way the last season of Ozark ended. Um, you know, where they, they're in Mexico and you're like, yeah, I can kind of see what's coming, but I didn't see it coming quite the way it ended. I know there's some people that are like, I, I'm not a cinephile. I'm not a movie critic. I'm not a, like a critically acclaimed TV guy, but that one kind of grabbed me. And, and I just kind of sat there for a while when, uh, when that one ended, that's a, it's a pretty good show. I know there are people who go, Oh, it's a, a formula show or the writings, you know, whatever. I, I don't care about any of that. That's um that may be a uh, – that may not be the best answer, but uh, that's the one I'll give you. You and I follow college football. We watch NFL. Watch and love high school football as well. What's the best YouTube high school football highlight reel you ever saw? Ooh. There are two of them that came to mind, and one of them actually is from Mississippi. I this, okay, so this, this wouldn't be a, a, a YouTube reel. Uh-huh. But I've I've seen some old highlights of when Marcus Dupree played Ooh. in uh, in in Philadelphia. That is a great and, yeah. You know the 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 book that was written, uh, you know, the best that never was. Yes. Um, or, or maybe that was the maybe that was the thirty for thirty. I, yeah. I think Willie Morris wrote a book uh, about that oh, was the courting of Marcus Dupree that yeah. uh, that Willie Morris yeah, yeah. wrote. Uh, such an unbelievable story, and he did things on a football field that were just unbelievable. Yeah, that's a good one. The one I was coming up with Mississippi was I saw Cam Akers mm-hmm. at Clinton playing quarterback in the cha- – I think it was a state championship game. And I'm watching this going, this is the one of the best high school football players I've ever seen. This is incredible. He's, a, he's amazing. And then he goes to – And there are a lot of people that, that compared Cam Akers to Marcus Dupree yeah. uh, in terms of – maybe the best player on a high school field in Mississippi ever. Unbelievable. The other one was Reggie Bush. He, mm. I, I remember seeing Reggie Bush thinking that's what's one of the greatest high school players I've ever seen. Yeah, I mean, just in a highlight tape, what he was able to do was it was, it was absolutely incredible. The college game. I wish I would have seen uh, that was a great one. Earthquake game. I wish I would have seen that USC Texas game. Because oh oh yeah yeah that had star power it's the Rose Bowl that's one place I've never gone uh, where I would love to go uh, that was always that was always uh, one of my I'll favorites give, Richard you're the absolute best brother. I'll give you two Thank more you so real much, quick I, I know okay. we're out of time uh, two you, you you jog my memory with the Rose Bowl I wish I could have been at the uh, the uh, Oklahoma Georgia game in the Rose Bowl Ooh. a couple of years ago 
Unbelievable yep. football game. Yep. And here's one off the radar that I would have loved to have seen in person because I remember vividly, I was actually doing a basketball tournament for Ole Miss in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and in a sports bar, watched Southern Cal Fresno State the night that Reggie Bush Ooh. just went crazy. I would have loved to have watched that in person. 513 total yards. That number sticks with me. I don't know why. I, I'll remember that when I'm 90 years old. Because we're weird. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because because we are weird. I mean, to think about the games, I think, you know, talking about great game, greatest games I've ever seen, 96. It's so funny because my my wife actually went with me. She does not like to go to football games with me, and I don't blame her. But in 96, I was coaching in Jacksonville, Florida. and. I knew all kinds of Gators fans, and that, that year, obviously, they were incredible. I had seen them against LSU, against Auburn. They were just completely dominant. Werfel was just on a completely different level. And uh, a buddy of ours sold us a car uh, from his car dealership and then said, hey, what are you doing Saturday? You want to go to the game? I got four tickets. I'm not using them. We want to go to Florida State in Florida, one versus two mm-hmm. in Tallahassee, which I normally went to Gainesville. And it was as – I mean, you talk about vitriol between two programs, but the fact that they were one versus two, yeah, it was incredible. And I remember my wife being there at the game with me, and she was just like, "This is crazy!" Like she could just understanding college football, like what it was all about. I was like, "No, this is what it's supposed to be like right here." Um, that that was that was one I went to. That was that was pretty fun. The one that I wrote that I I wish I had seen was. 2000 Florida State Miami and my my boss my the voice of Texas Mark Vandermeer he was the play-by-play voice for the Hurricanes and so that was how many pros were on the field that day yeah it was unbelievable he said he said he always wears a suit because he's always up in the booth and he said that day was so hot he said they just went and got golf shirts he was like they had to and I said well Hmm. that was wide right three and he goes oh yeah he goes I knew when it was coming down to a field goal, I had to get the call right. And so he happened to be looking at one of the monitors and he got it right, wide right. The TV, they have like a, a sports channel, Miami or whatever, that broadcasts the TV side of it. And he said wide left. And it was like, oh, he, I mean, Mark talked to him, but he was just, you know, the guy was just mortified. And Mark yeah. was like, I had to get that right. Of anything all day. He had to get wide right. That would have been one hell of a game to have been to. That was uh, that was pretty incredible. Richard, I appreciate your time, brother. Thank you so much. Uh, and hopefully we'll get a chance to do this again down the road, my friend. You're the best, John. Now, Richard had to go do his radio show that afternoon, so we had to cut it there. But I could have talked to Richard forever. He mentioned – it's so funny. He mentioned that 2020 – SEC championship as the best game that he's been to live. And it's funny because when I made this list, I answered my own questions. And that was well, that was one of them. It was the best college football game. Well, I answered it with 2012 Alabama, Georgia. And it was it was incredible. I mean, it, the place was crawling with NFL talent, just oozing. You had both of them, I think, two and three in the country. And both of them would have throttled Notre Dame by three touchdowns. No offense, Shawnee, but that's just the truth. And, and you know it's the truth. So uh, that's the way it goes. All right, that was a tremendous interview with Richard Cross brought to you by the Texas Bowl. And I want to remind you that you can experience postseason college football deep in the heart of Houston. The 2020 Texas Bowl featuring the Big 12 versus the SEC will be held Thursday, 
December 31st at 7 o'clock at NRG Stadium. Join the waitlist for exclusive pre-sale access, event updates, ticket deals, and more at thetexasbowl.com. That is thetexaspoll.com. Richard and I kind of talked off the air, and I talked about uh, the Texas Bowl. My, my pal David Fletcher is a GM of LSSC, and I said, man, the, the kickoff game was supposed to be Ole Miss and Baylor. Man, is there a shot you can get a bowl game of Ole Miss and Baylor? That'd be kind of fun in some sense. Uh, Dave Aranda, defensive mind on one side. Lane Kiffin, the lane train offensively on the other. Could be could be really, uh, really fun evening, that's for sure. Now, that time of 7 p.m. could change a little bit based on whether I think a bowl game is played before or not. If the game is played before, I'm sorry, later because the West Coast game, then they would move up a couple hours. But right now, December 31st, prime real estate, 7 p.m., Check out the Texas Bowl, Big 12 versus the SEC. All right, this is a fantastic weekend in college football. Why? Well, because it's college football. The other part of it is the fact that you've got the Pac-12 coming back. You had Maction on Wednesday evening, and Akron on the very first play decides the onside kick, which was absolutely awesome uh, for them to have done that to go onside kick on the very first play of the game. Uh, but Maxion played all on uh, Wednesday night. Kent State ended up beating Eastern Michigan. Kent State with Dustin Crum uh, Dustin at quarterback. And also Xavier Williams as a ball carrier. It's very fun to watch. Western Michigan blew up Akron 58-13. Buffalo, keep an eye on Malcolm Kuntz, edge rusher from Buffalo. He's got some skills. They went 49-30 over Northern Illinois. Central Michigan beats Ohio by three. The fighting Jim McElwain's get a win uh, against the Bobcats in a close game in Frank Solich. Miami of Ohio, 38. Ball State, 31. Toledo dominated Bowling Green, 38-3. And whenever Bowling Green and Toledo play, I always have this story to kind of tell you about college football fandom. I was writing at the time for College Football News, and my name is John Harris, which you know, I think. And... There was also a writer named John Harris who wrote for the Toledo Blade. And I, whenever I wrote my stuff for College Football News at the time, Urban Meyer was there. Bowling Green was very, very good. Well, Toledo and Bowling Green have a big rivalry. So I ended up on a message board from Bowling Green, and they're just ripping me to pieces. I mean, just up one side and down the other. And I'm like, man, I thought I wrote a pretty nice article about them. So about two months later... As I wrote even more good stuff about Bowling Green, because they were very, very good with Urban Meyer than just, I think, a year or two after Urban had left and gone to Utah, I get an email from a guy and says, hey, uh, I got to ask, are you the John Harris that writes for the Toledo Blade? And I wrote back, I was like, no, man, I'm John Harris. I live, in, I live at the time I was in North Carolina. I said, I live in North Carolina. I have no affiliation to Toledo. He goes, oh, I thought so. So at that point, I was like, I'm now I'm curious. So I went and I found the message board. He posted... The fact that I was now with the Toledo Blade and all of a sudden glowing, glowing write-ups on me at that point. Oh, that's not him from Toledo Blade? Oh, man, okay. And all of a sudden, it was like I was Bowling Green's best pal at that point. Uh, but in this one, Toledo got the best of Bowling Green, 38-3. to Now, with the Pac-12 coming back, I figured, you know what? Let's do our predictions in the Pac-12 
and for top 25 games. And we're going to start with our West games. And our predictions are brought to you by McGrath Pest Control. My buddy Scott McGrath does so much for the city of Houston. I've told this story before on the podcast. He came down to Galveston where we were staying. We actually decided to stay for a full month down in Galveston. And they had a really bad mosquito problem at this house. So I called Scott. I said, look, I know you guys are a few hours away. Do you know anybody in the Galveston area that could help us? Just on a whim. Scott said, I'll have somebody down there tomorrow. Had somebody down there at noon. Got it all taken care of. And for the rest of the month, we were able to eat outside, be outside on a great month. So you definitely want to check out McGrath, M-C, capital G-R-A-T-H, Pest Control. McGrath Pest Control. So our predictions are brought to you by Scott. He eliminates pests. Let's eliminate losers. Let's start the Pac-12 because you do have two ranked teams that are going to play. They don't play each other, but that are playing in the Pac-12. It starts at 11 a.m. My God, 11 a.m. Central, 9 a.m. on the West Coast. Oh, my God. USC is taking on Arizona State. This is a good Jaden Daniels against Keaton Slovis. I think USC is way too talented. They had a couple of opt-outs, but they were uh, they were lucky to get Elijah Vera Tucker back at guard. He's one of the best linemen in the country. Love the way he plays. They get him back. USC's favored by 10.5. I like USC in this one to win, but I do think never underestimate Herm Edwards. I mean, the guy's in his 60s. 9 a.m. is going to feel like 9 at night. He doesn't care. But I do think Arizona State keeps it inside the 10.5. So go with USC to win. Arizona State to cover that one. Arizona goes to Utah. The fighting Kevin Sumlins are taking on Utah. And Utah's had to have a number of spots filled in the secondary, in the backfield. They're still favored by 14. I'm going with Utah to win that one. And I'm going to go with Utah to cover. Even though Arizona has knocked off Utah in the past, I just feel like this is one in which Utah will get off to a great start at home. So let's take Utah to win and to cover just barely. I feel like 14 is the right, right, perfect number. UCLA goes to Colorado. Colorado with Carl Durrell, the former UCLA coach, taking on UCLA, DTR, Dorian Thompson, Robinson, taking on Colorado. UCLA is favored by about a touchdown, six and a half. I, that's a little dicey for me spread-wise, but I do think UCLA, I think Chip Kelly's moving that thing in the right direction. So I think UCLA wins. I just don't like that number six and a half. So I'm going to give Colorado the cover, and UCLA is going to get inside that six and a half, but the Bruins win. Stanford goes to Oregon. Oregon had a few opt-outs. Uh, two big ones, Javon Holland on the defensive side, Panay Sewell on the offensive side. Could be first-round talents, but I, and they don't have Justin Herbert anymore. I think Oregon wins, but it's close. Stanford goes in there. And it's not scary to take on Oregon. Some teams go up to Oregon, they get intimidated by the crowd. Obviously, not going to be a big factor. Um, and then just the pacing with which Oregon plays. Now, Oregon has got to place a, replace a number of guys in the offensive line. I think Stanford makes this a lot closer than nine. This is going to be just nail-biter. But I'm going to give Oregon the slight edge in this one. Washington State takes on Oregon State. Oregon State's favored by one and a half. Washington State breaking in, new coach Nick Rolovich. Oregon State with Jonathan Smith started to turn a corner a little bit, but they lost their quarterback, Jake Luton, who I'll see on Sunday playing for the Jacksonville Jaguars. I don't have a good feel for this one, to be honest with you, but I'm going to go to Oregon State at home, and it's a one and a half point spread. 
Let's go to Oregon State to cover that number and get a win. One and a half in college is a lot like a pick em. So let's just go with Oregon State to win that one. Washington taking on Cal. Washington, like a number of teams in the Pac-12, number of opt-outs. They'll miss Elijah Molden. I think that's going to be an issue. But Cal, I think, still has some players, even in losing Ashton Davis. I think Kwani Dang at linebacker is tremendous. Cameron Bynum on the corner is tremendous. I'm going to go with Cal to win this game at home against Washington. Washington's favored by one. It's about a pick em. So let's go with Cal straight up to win that game against Washington and Jimmy Lake's first game as the Huskies head coach. I'm going to go with him to get an L in that one. All right, your top 25 games. Let's predict those because uh, they're right in front of us. Friday night, Miami taking on NC State. It's a good one. NC State's been playing some good football. Lost a nail-biter to North Carolina. Very, very close. Could have had that one. They had that one. They're 5-1. The Wolfpack would be. But Derek King has gotten it done all year long for Miami. Miami's favored by 10.5 at NC State. I don't like that. I hate that, actually. I think Miami goes in and gets the win, but NC State's going to get the cover. BYU is then taking on Boise State. Oy. Quarterback for Boise State, Bachmeyer, did not play in that game against Air Force last week. BYU's favored by three. They played seven games. Boise State's only played two. Boise State at home is so difficult to beat, but I trust Zach Wilson. Zach Wilson and BYU win this game on the blue turf and cover that three. Going to be a really exciting Friday night with Miami taking NC State and BYU taking on Boise State. All right, let's move to games on Saturday. 11 o'clock kick, number 23, Michigan, taking on number 13, Indiana. Indiana undefeated. Michigan's got to get back on track. Michigan's favored by three and a half. I don't love that because Michigan did not play great against Michigan State. However, with all the noise and everything going on, I'm thinking Jim Harbaugh circles the wagons. Defense can stop Michael Penix Jr., Wap Fillior a little bit better maybe than Penn State did. I'm going to give Michigan the win and the cover on the road. Don't love this one, but I feel like Jim Harbaugh's got to get done. They've heard all week about how they can't get it done. Indiana's ranked 13th in the country. How about that? Uh, with two wins on the year beating Penn State in that first game, beating Rutgers last week. Indiana's 2-0. Good football team. I think Michigan takes it by more than that 3.5, though. All right. SMU takes on Temple. Temple, not a good football team at all this year. SMU 6-1. The only loss at 42-13 loss to Cincinnati. SMU smokes Temple in Philly. They cover the 17.5 and then get back to Texas after that one. Speaking of Texas, Texas taking on the fight in West Virginia Mountaineers. Texas favored by six and a half. Now, I don't like Texas favored against anybody. That defense has moments of being superb and moments of being flat, hot garbage. But I'm going with Texas at home, and I think they win it by seven or more. West Virginia will come in. They'll run the ball. Letty Brown's doing a nice job for them on the ground this year. But Texas, I think this is... That win against Oklahoma State last week was huge in turning a corner for Tom Herman. So here's what happens. Either... And you know it. You've driven. You get into that steep corner. Either you're going to take that corner and hit it and gain velocity, or you're going right off the edge. That's, that's where Texas is. They're heading into that corner. I think they turn it and stay straight and go undefeated the rest of the year. And I think they win this one by more than six and a half. Got to help me if that doesn't happen. Liberty. How about this? Liberty is the 25th ranked team in the country at 6-0. Virginia Tech's 4-2. 
and Virginia Tech is favored by 14 and a half. This is an odd football game from that perspective. I'm going to roll with Hendon Hooker and Virginia Tech here. I don't like the 14 and a half. Hugh Freeze and Liberty doing a great job. I think Liberty gets inside that 14 and a half. This game, I mean, you, you hear the pregame speech right now by Hugh Freeze. You're a ranked team for the first time ever, and you're going into a place where you're a 14 and a half point dog. They don't respect us. I mean, you can just see it. The chip on the shoulder is growing right now uh, at Liberty. Liberty will not win. Virginia Tech will win, but Liberty will get inside that 14 and a half point number. UMass goes to Marshall. Marshall's 16th in the country and favored by 45 points. Wow. Wow. That's crazy. I think Marshall ends up getting the win. You know what? When you get ranked by... If, you, if the spread's 45, you know what? Just lay the points. It's going to be ugly. All right. I talked about that Florida-Georgia game a little bit. Back in 1997, there was a long run of Florida games. Florida wins in that series. In 1997, it looked like it was just going to be another Florida win. And out of the blue, Heinz Ward, Mike Bobo at quarterback. Um, you had... Oh, uh, Edwards in the backfield, who was just a tremendous... Robert Edwards in the backfield is just tremendous. And it was so funny because the, the in certain places, like with robbery games, at Texas OU, OU Texas, the split is at the 50-yard line. But in Jacksonville, it was at the um, goalposts. So just a different cut, one latitude, one longitude. And so I'm sitting on the floor side, and you can just see the other side of the field. You know, you can just tell, like, when things happened early for them, you know, Georgia fans are like, yeah, all right, but Florida will get us. And then when it finally looked like Georgia was going to win, it was just eruption. I mean, I've never seen a fan base just let loose so much angst and frustration. It was just incredible. I don't know if the game matches that this week. Georgia's defense has been fantastic. Last week, they only gave up three points to Kentucky. But Alabama read that defense the riot act. Unfortunately, I don't think Florida has that kind of firepower. I don't think Florida has that kind of balanced offense. Kyle Pitts will get his. I think that Kadarius Toney will get some as well. And Kyle Trask will play a fine game. But Georgia wins this thing by a touchdown. Spreads three and a half. I'm going Georgia to win this thing. Uh, let's say 28-21. That's what I'm going with. The world's largest cocktail party goes to the Georgia Bulldogs. U of H taking on Cincinnati. Cincinnati's favored by 13 and a half. The Bearcats are an exceptional football team this year. So I'm going with Kansas City. Excuse me, Kansas City. Cincinnati. You'll see why I said Kansas in a second. Cincinnati's going to win that one. Desmond Ritter's going to roll. Cincinnati's favored by 13 and a half. I'm going to take them to cover that 13 and a half. Houston still struggling under Dayton Holgerson, trying to find the right mix. This whole season for Houston has just been kind of a crapshoot. They were supposed to start against five different, I think they were delayed five different times at the start of the year. That's kind of filtered in through the year. And Cincinnati's a really good football team to have to try and beat on the road. I don't think it's going to happen. Cincinnati wins that thing by 17. Go with 41-24 for the Bearcats at Nippert. Kansas takes on Oklahoma. Oklahoma's favored by 38. Spencer Rattler gets it done. Kansas is a mess right now under Les Miles. Oklahoma wins that thing and wins comfortably by 41. Wisconsin and Purdue canceled, unfortunately. And then you got Oklahoma State taking on Kansas State. Oklahoma State took one on the chin last week. Couldn't finish the Longhorns off. Too many mistakes. Turned the ball over, 15-yard penalty on a block on a punt block. Uh, they gave the ball back to Texas to allow them to take lead in fourth quarter. I think Oklahoma State takes this one. Deuce Vaughn will have a decent game for Kansas State. But quarterback position for Kansas State has not been good. Will Howard last week was a mess, uh, replacing Skylar Thompson. 
Tough place to play Kansas State is, but Arkansas State won there this year. Oklahoma State will win there this year, and they'll win by more than 12.5. Take the Cowboys. AM goes to South Carolina. It's going to be a tricky one. South Carolina rises up every so often, but AM is playing more consistently at a high level than I've seen them in a long time. They're seventh in the country. They're four and one. They're favored by 10. Let's get, let's take the 10 points with South Carolina, but take the win for AM. Baylor taking on Iowa State. Baylor's not played well. They had a lot of personnel losses, trying to incorporate a new coach. I think Iowa State wins this thing by 14. That's the spread. So if I'm leaning one way, let's go Iowa State to win that and cover the 14. Rutgers takes on Ohio State. It's going to get ugly. Ohio State's going to win that thing by 40. They're favored by 38, so they'll win and cover. Oregon, I mentioned earlier, taking on Stanford. Coastal Carolina is 15th in the country, taking on South Alabama. Steve Campbell, I think, has done a nice job at South Alabama at 3-3, three three, but Coastal's rolling. They're favored by 18. I think I'm going to take them to cover that 18 and get a win at home. And last and certainly not least, and I want you to go to footballtakeover.com because I will break this one down in full. Clemson, take it on Notre Dame at South Bend. Notre Dame, relatively healthy. Clemson favored by five and a half. No Trevor Lawrence in this one. And that gives me pause. I do think that DJ Ui Ungalale looked really good last week. But this is Notre Dame. They are aggressive on the defensive side. They're fast. They're physical. I'm going with the upset of Notre Dame winning this one outright at home. I should know better. But I think Clemson's had a few issues on the defensive side of the ball with personnel. Boston College couldn't fully take advantage of it. But I think for the first time in his career, in all honesty, Ian Book is going to be that guy. Kyron Williams is going to run the ball, I think, well. Up front, Clemson has some defensive losses. I'm going with Notre Dame. Outright winner. Knocking off Clemson and true freshman quarterback DJ Uwe Ungolale. Easy for me to say, huh? I think Travis Etienne will uh, do his part in keeping it close. Amari Rodgers will make some plays. I just think Ian Book behind that offensive line will have balance. I think Michael Merritt tight end is one to watch. True freshman is a stud. Notre Dame wins this thing outright. I can't believe I just said it, but it's going to happen this week at night. NBC, one of the best games of the year, and I'm going with the hometown Irish. All right, this has been a great podcast. Really appreciate you guys listening. Go check out footballtakeover.com. I've got a huge scouting report on that Clemson-Notre Dame game, so make sure, well, if I don't have it up by the time you're listening to this, it will be up uh, at some point, hopefully on Thursday, to get you ready for that big one. Appreciate y'all. Thank you so much for the support of footballtakeover.com and listening to this podcast. Have a great weekend, everybody. Hope your team wins or you cash a nice ticket. You've been listening to the Football with Friends podcast, courtesy of the Texas Bowl and footballtakeover.com.